0: Dear. Hello? No, don't, don't do that, sweetheart. What are you doing? What's the Houston trip in November? And why are you pounding holes in the wall? It's not for pounding holes in the wall, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Do you know how to run that thing? I can. <laughs> I know you can. So we're taking a team down to Houston in, in November. What what's the purpose of that? So you're going? I'm going. Okay. You're leading the team? Yes. Okay. Ten spots. Ten spots. Yes. So anybody can go? Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Labor, deconstruction, cleaning, like so, so we're going into people's homes mm-hmm. that have been damaged by the flood, helping to take them apart and helping to put them back together whatever stage they're in with that process. Yeah. So it's a ministry of help and a ministry of presence. Yes. Okay. And we're hoping to send a team from Valley Free to... Uh, to go down and be part of that and we're actually we're hoping this is a a kind of a launch team we're hoping to send teams on a regular basis down there i know they're still involved in the hurricane recovery in new orleans and how many years ago was that so this is an ongoing work and we are hoping to to build an ongoing ministry with it so is there a deadline for signing up So meet with you after the church service, and you can give more details on cost and time frame and all that stuff. Okay. Okay. So you have an opportunity as a church. If you cannot go, you can help someone go. And so as Sandy is saying. If you want to give to the Houston ministry, just make a notation on your check, Houston ministry, and designate those funds for it. You can help with expenses. You can help somebody go who has has the time but not the funds, things like that. We can all partner together to make this happen. So see Sandy right after the service this morning. You don't have to have a hammer with you. In fact, I don't think you even need to know how to run a hammer in order to go to Houston. And we're glad for that. Okay. Thank you, sweetheart. Yeah, thank you. Well, good morning <laughs> um, we are We are coming in for a landing on our, our series on the, the shoreline lessons from the Sea of galilee and and um, for those of you who are new this morning, uh, a group of us went to Israel this last spring and So this summer we've been doing, just taking some lessons from around the Sea of Galilee where we visited and uh, expanding on them and going into Scripture and learning about them. So today is the last in that series. Today we wind up in the city of Capernaum where we've been before. I I didn't put any pictures of Capernaum up there this morning because we've done that already. Maybe I should have, I don't know. But uh, it's the hometown of Jesus. It's the hometown of several of the disciples and we'll get into that in a little bit. But that's, that's where we're stationed here around the Sea of Galilee on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. When I was thinking about what it means that, this, that, the, that Jesus called the disciples, one thing that came to my mind was a story of a number of years ago when <coughs> Sandy and I were in the very beginning stages of church planting ministry in Romania. We had a a church from the Minneapolis area sent a team over to help us with some things, and uh, there was a lady on that team. And um, I don't know how many were on the team, but there was one particular lady that I'm thinking about, and and uh, she came over and was part of the team and was a lovely lady. And we got to know her and all the members on the team, and and uh, we got to know her story in particular as we asked everybody what their story was and. She said that she felt like God had called her to be part of this ministry team to come to Romania. She'd never done anything like that before. And, uh, but she felt the Lord's leading to do that. And so she came by herself. Her husband did not come with her, but she had her husband's blessing to come. But we later learned that her husband is a, is a pre Christian. He's, he's not a Christian. And yet he gave her, he's not antagonistic towards the gospel, uh, not antagonistic towards her faith or her going to church. It just wasn't his deal. He wasn't on the same page with her spiritually. So she told that story and we, we, as, we, as the story unfolded we realized this, this lady is praying desperately for her husband to come to know Christ. To hear the call of Christ to say come and follow me. We know that the team is praying for her husband. We know that her, their church family is praying for her husband to come to know Christ. So she left and the team left and And I don't remember the time frame exactly, but we later learned that her husband had indeed come to know Christ, that he had given his life to Christ. And I imagine knowing her passion to see her husband come to Christ, I imagine she was jumping up and down for joy. I imagine the church family who had been praying all that time for her husband to come to know Christ, I imagine that they were jumping up and down for joy as well, that this man had come to know Jesus, had heard the call and had responded to the call what I didn't tell you what I didn't insert in the story is that this this young lady also had a had a sense that the Lord was uh, because of her time in Romania and some other things she had a sense that the Lord was was prompting her to move towards full-time missions but with an unbelieving husband that's kind of a crazy idea and so she put that off to the side and thought that's not going to happen soon after and again I don't know the time frame but soon after he became a Christian her husband caught the same bug and he understood that the Lord was, was indeed speaking through his wife and, and indeed calling him to go into ministry overseas in another culture. And it wasn't long after that that Sandy and I heard that they had left for an Asian country and uh, they, where they have been the last 20 or so years. I don't know the exact numbers. And the, the reason that story came to my mind is because I heard that they're just retiring from the free church mission. What a great story. What a great story. He didn't even know Christ. She she felt the Lord calling her to go into missions, but can't do that with an unbelieving spouse. And yet she was faithful. God was faithful. And God did the calling. They did the responding. And now 20-some years later, they're retiring from a career in missions. And I don't know how many lives they've impacted over the years for the gospel. As I think about that story... Um, there are lots of levels to that calling, to the, to the idea of calling in that story. There's, there's the calling of her to go to Romania. There's the calling of her husband uh, hearing the Lord uh, for salvation. There's the, the calling of both of them to, to get into to, to missions and to go where the Lord was leading them. There's the calling to just get out of your comfort zone and be witnesses for Christ. And that's what we're talking about today as we go back to the Sea of Galilee and the city of Capernaum and Jesus walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We're talking about the disciples with Jesus coming alongside and they experienced the same levels of calling in their life. That day, as we'll read about in just a moment, that day they heard the call of Jesus to come and follow. And we'll see that they heard the call to to come and be with Jesus. They heard the call to come and be part of his mission and to be his witnesses. And then later on, they heard the call to take on various roles in God's kingdom, to take their place in the work of the the advancement of the kingdom, God's kingdom. When I think about the idea of calling, the idea of calling is oftentimes confusing. And I've concluded over the years that many of us are guilty of overthinking this idea of calling. We saw one ministry in Romania that we that, that uh, we're, we were related to in, this, in our city and um, they put a huge emphasis on teenagers understanding the calling of God. And it was a huge emphasis and they, they, they were, they were t- telling kids that are 14, 15, 17 years old that you have got to know God's perfect plan for your life now and if you don't understand it that you're not in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we saw terrible things come from that kind of an idea that too much pressure, too much overthinking God's call. And that pressure to define God's call and that pressure to to pursue God's calling at such a young age and and all of that meant that they were obsessing over something that I don't think needs to be so complicated. God simply leads us. We need to be concerned about God's call. Indeed they were. But we don't need to obsess over it. We simply need to yield our lives to God and let him take us where he will. As Jesus walked the shores of Capernaum, his hometown, he offered a simple invitation to simple people, to simple fishermen. And the invitation was this, come, follow me. And their response wasn't complicated either. Their response was as simple as the invitation itself, we'll see that they simply left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. And so as we we conclude our study of the ministry of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee, we make this final stop. We need to stop here. We've talked about his authority over several different areas. And today we're talking about his authority over us. His authority over our calling. His authority over our lives. And so we come back to the city of Capernaum where Jesus called several of his disciples to come and follow him. And as we do that, as we look at his invitation, we'll consider the authority of Jesus in our own lives. So let's do that. Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll start this morning. If you'll turn with me there. Matthew chapter 4. I'll begin reading at... at um, Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll see the calling of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. It's very simple. Just one verse. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, using these scenes and, and, and the other scenes, of, the, of we can't go into all the different variations of how Jesus called his disciples, and sometimes it's not even recorded. We'll just use these two scenes to launch from this morning and, and try to figure out what the anatomy of God's calling is on our lives. What does it mean that he's calling us? How am I to follow him? So the first thing that I see when I look at this passage in Matthew chapter 4 in particular is the idea that he's calling us to come out. He's calling us to come out of, of where we are. He's calling us in salvation terms, it's, it's calling us to repent and turn towards him. In, in calling terms, he's calling us to, to leave behind, to, to, to drop the nets as, as the fishermen did and leave and follow him. He's calling us out of where we are. And as we talked about last week, it, this, this moment, this, this decision to follow Jesus, this invitation to come out, comes after a moment of clarity. We, did, we talked about this last week, so I won't go into it too much, but there are moments of clarity when we see Jesus for who he is. Matthew records the calling and the decision of the disciples, but I, it says that they just simply dropped their nets and left. But I, I believe, and I think most commentators believe as well, that they were actually primed a little bit. They understood who Jesus was. They had a moment of clarity. So when he came along and actually dropped the invitation, they were ready. Because they had already considered Jesus. They had already, they had already uh, thought about who he was and what, his, what he was doing and, and his ministry. They were already prepared. They had already seen him. The, the call to follow him didn't come out of the blue. Look at Turn with me over to John chapter 1. And this, this really comes out. John chapter 1. Let me just come into the story a little bit. This is another, another setting for their calling. And I think it helps us to understand that, that they, were, they had been thinking about Jesus before that. Look at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his, his, his disciples, John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, found Philip, and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So I, I want to bring out the idea here in this passage, in this, this setting of calling, that they, they understood who Jesus was. Andrew and John, the followers of John the Baptist, they heard the message that he was the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God was come to take away the sins of the world. And they spent time with Jesus. They understood who Jesus was. Peter. When his brother came to him and said, We have found him who is called the Messiah. He understood. He begins to process this. Jesus knew Peter and gave him a new name. So he had had experiences with Jesus. And then there's Philip. He understood Jesus as the fulfillment of Scripture's promised Messiah. And then Nathaniel, who did not become an apostle, but Nathaniel, I think it's a great story. He understood and had insight into who Jesus was. And I think the story of Nathaniel under the, the fig tree is, a, is an amazing story. He said, how do you know who I am? Do you Remember what he said? I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And, and, and people that understand the culture and the context of that understand that he was probably reading the scriptures. He was probably having a prayer time out in his courtyard under a fig tree when Jesus saw him there. And so the part of the amazement for him was, I was seeking the Lord. I was in the scriptures. I was seeking him in his writings. I was seeking after the Lord. And you saw me there? Who are you? You see that moment of clarity, that moment of revelation? And so he came and he followed after Jesus. Peter is the prime example of this. Uh, later on, we see another setting where, the, where Jesus said to let down your nets on the other side. And, and the nets were full after a night of no fish. But at Jesus' word, the nets were full, and Peter realized at that moment that he couldn't be in the presence of Jesus. You are holy, you are God, and I am not. He understood there was that moment of clarity, that moment of revelation. And then in Matthew chapter 16, when, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I also want us to understand that as we see in these examples, we see there's a progression here, isn't there? there's, a, there's a, a revelation here and there's a revelation here and there's a revelation there. And that marks our Christian life as we, as we grow and mature in Jesus, he begins to reveal more of himself to us and more of his plan and his, his, his purpose for our lives. I think about I think about King David and before he faced Goliath, what was his moment of clarity? As he's standing there and he's, he's standing there with his brothers and with the army of Israel and, and he had a moment of clarity. Remember, remember what it was? This is a little bit out of the Loud out of the the category here. But remember what his moment of clarity was? Who are you to speak of the king of the universe that way? The God of the people of Israel. Who are you to speak like that? That's a moment of clarity. And he stood up and he said, I will not stand for this. You will not speak of the Lord this way. And he went and, and, and the rest of the story of David and Goliath is evident to us. That's that moment of clarity. Moments of clarity precede a profound sense of calling. And then there's, then there's the invitation back to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to notice something in, Matthew, in this narrative in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said, come and follow after me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to notice this. It is Jesus who's extending the call. It's not the disciples' idea. It's not their personal invitation. Hey, I think this is a good idea. Maybe I'll just walk after you. Maybe I'll follow after you. It's Jesus saying, I want you to come and follow after me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Let me say it again. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. The calling is initiated by Jesus. The calling is anointed by Jesus. The calling is is carried out by Jesus. One author that I read this week said it this way, and I don't even know if he knew what he was saying. The context is is actually contrary to this, but listen to what he said. As God is increasingly marginalized in our culture, fewer and fewer people understand their life as a response to a call from God. Instead, they seek to create their own subjective identity. You see, the danger is to create our own plans to distort God's truth, His kingdom work and his priorities, or his design for our lives, by dictating to him our reality, by dictating to him how his calling needs to shape our lives and to meet our needs. And on the contrary, this call only comes from Jesus. Listen to this it's his plan, it's his grace, it's his objective, it's his purpose, it's his work, and it's not ours. It's his invitation. It's his calling. Now I want you to catch something else, from, something else from Matthew chapter 4. I want you to catch that these are simple people. I, I put down in the call is for all people because it sounds a little better, doesn't it? But I want you to catch it's for simple people. It's, it's for you and me. I, I looked for the backgrounds of all the, the disciples, the apostles, and I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to trace them. It's, we don't have all the information on the backgrounds or the professions of the disciples. But we do know this, that they weren't noblemen, and they weren't noteworthy by the standards of the day. Five of the twelve were fishermen. One or two of the twelve were tax collectors. They were simple men going about their business, their daily business. You see, God's calling is not reserved for the wealthy, for the educated, or for those who have specific honors or esteem in the culture. I, I ran into a young man uh, back in Romania in the earlier days who wanted to go to seminary. And uh, I suggested to him that before he goes to seminary in the United States, he wanted to come over here and go to the seminary, and he wanted us to pay for it. I suggested to him that he start leading Bible studies in the church first. He was appalled at the idea because he couldn't lead a Bible study until he went to seminary. That was his thinking. What do you, what do you think? No. No. See, God calls simple people, and I, you know, we mentioned earlier that it's kind of a progressive thing when God calls you, when he taps you on the shoulder and he says, I want you to come and follow after me. It's, it's, it's simply just jump in and walk and go and listen and learn. And as, as you go, he'll begin to unfold that for you and he'll take you to places that you just, you just won't believe. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's for simple people. Romans 2 verse 11 says that God shows no partiality. Galatians 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is enslaved nor free, there is male nor f- neither is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God is calling all people unto himself. God has a purpose for you, and it doesn't matter what category you fit in. He doesn't see the categories. We don't have to attain a certain status. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't need to be famous. We don't need to be wealthy. We don't need to be important. We need only to be yielded over to God's leading. His calling is for you and for me and for everyone who will listen. And then in this idea of him calling us out, we can't miss this in the, in the, in the narrative of, the, of Jesus calling his disciples. We can't miss the fact that they left it all. They left it all. When, when Jesus gave the response, when he gave the invitation, the response was simple, and the response was costly. They left everything. Matthew tells us that James and John left their business. Peter and Andrew left their business. But James and John left their business, and and their father left their family. Jesus, uh, in in Luke chapter 18, Peter reminds Jesus, uh, by the way, Jesus, uh, we have left our family, we've left our homes to follow after you. Look at us, Peter, Jesus. And Jesus affirms their commitment by explaining the great rewards that come from following the call of Again, Bonhoeffer says it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Give your whole life over to Jesus. That's the call to come out. And then there's the call to enter in. I, th- I think Jesus is, it, when, when Jesus calls us, the, the call is simple. Follow me. There are times when Jesus adds in what the results might be or the role that he's calling us to might, might be. He, he tells Peter, "and enter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He gave them a little bit of insight there, not a lot of detail. But I want you to catch this. The call is to enter in. The call always starts with two words. Follow me. When we think about God's calling in our lives, we often go right away to the role. What are you calling me to? What's, and this is what they were, this group was doing in Petesh, these teenagers. What's my role? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Where am, what am I supposed to be? But that's not, that's not where Jesus is starting from at all. He's calling us to enter into a relationship with him. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say go do this. He doesn't say go do that. He doesn't say get into full-time ministry. He doesn't say go be a missionary. He doesn't say go do this, go do this. Whatever we think is successful ministry There's none of that in this first step. The only step here is follow me. Jesus, come into relationship with me. The call is to abide in him, and he makes it clear in John 15. Now, there's nothing wrong with considering the fruit or the calling of our labor, but Jesus says that only in him will we produce fruit. Listen to this, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on in John chapter 17. The, by the way, you need to read John 15. The whole chapter talks about this relationship of, of being in him and bearing fruit. John 17, he says, he says that eternal life is found in this, knowing the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Period. It's not, it's, eternal life isn't found in doing this and this and this and going here and going there. You don't get extra points because you are a missionary. You don't get extra points because you did this. You helped an old lady across the street. You don't get extra points for that at all. Those are just the good works that he's called us to live in and to walk in. The calling is to follow me. That's where it is. And that's where the measurement is. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Eternal life isn't found in anything else except knowing Jesus. That's it. Abide in me. When the disciples left everything, they knew only this, that they were following Jesus. I I look back at, we read Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the calling of Matthew. Jesus simply said, follow me and he got up, and he left, and he followed Jesus. They might have all kinds of, they might have had all kinds of, the disciples might have had all kinds of expectations and hopes. They might have had all kinds of, um, we know that Judas thought that Jesus was going to bring a great revolution, and that he was going to throw over Rome, and do. they might have had all those, those expectations. They might have been in the equation, but at the moment, when, they, when that moment of clarity came, when they looked at Jesus, and he said, follow me, they simply dropped everything and left. They had no idea where that road would take them. No idea. All they knew is that this guy Jesus was leading and they wanted to be in a relationship with him. You see, the calling of Jesus is always, always, always a calling to be with him. And then there's the call to join up. This is, these are, this is another aspect of the call to us. The call to join up. I look at the call of Peter and Andrew, and and Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. As Jesus calls us, he gives us insight into his work, to the work of the kingdom that he wants us to be involved with. For Peter and Andrew, it was to be evangelists, although they didn't know that at that moment. It would unfold later. It would be revealed later. Peter and Andrew was to be evangelists, to call others to Christ. For the Apostle Paul, it was, it was to join Jesus in, in reaching the non-Jewish world. But I want you to know that at this point, at this moment, the calling is still not specific, if I can say the word. Peter and Andrew still didn't know, if, okay, you're called to be evangelists, I will make you fishers of men. What does that mean? What, where do I go? What do I do? What does that mean? They didn't know what that meant for them. All they knew was that they were following Jesus. But the invitation is still a call to join Christ in his kingdom work. When the family of Jesus came and asked Jesus to come home with him, if you remember the scenario in, in the Gospels, they said they, they were concerned for Jesus, that Jesus was, I, I say, going around the corner. They thought Jesus was losing it. And so they came and they knocked on the door where, where Jesus was teaching and ministering inside the house. And they said, would you... Would you send Jesus out here so he can come home with us? He needs to stop this nonsense. Do you remember what Jesus' reply was in that story? Do you remember? Help me out. Who is my family? And he he pointed around to all those who were listening to his teaching. He says, these are my brothers and my sisters. And you know why they're my brothers and sisters? Because they're doing the will of the Father. Because they're walking in it. They're yielding themselves over to who God is. And I think about, okay, what, so what are the movements of God? What is, what is God doing in the world? What is, what is God's will? There, there's the question of the day for you right there. What is God's will? Well, listen to this. Let me give you a list, and then you add your own, your own, your own items to this list. God's will is that none should perish. Right? God's will is... is We should do unto the least of these. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. God has called us to be witnesses. You see the the movements of God? We're joining in right here. God, Jesus said, I will establish my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's a movement of God. That's where God is going. His, his movement is to bring grace and restoration to those who call on his name. We, he, he calls us to be agents of his kingdom. We're called to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are called to invite others into worship. And what else would you say about God's overarching goals or his purposes in the world? What is God's Well, There it is. There's, those, there's the big waves of it and that's, he's calling us to get inside of those things. It's still not specific. But he's calling us to enter into what he's doing. When Jesus said he would make them fishers of men, he was inviting them to join him in his work, to join in establishing his kingdom. For me, I'll just give you an example from my own life. My calling has included the the calling of God to to help in establishing his church, that, that big part of it. Another aspect of his calling came when he layered on the conviction that not everyone in the world had an opportunity not only to hear about Jesus but to be part of his church so God took those two things, those progressive callings, he called me to himself he, called me to un- he helped me to understand that he's establishing the church in the world and then he's helped me to understand that not everybody in the world lives in a nice place like Chaska where there's bookstores on every corner where there's Christian radio stations wherever you turn the dial not everybody lives like that Mike, I need you to go. And then, then he invited my wife into the vision as well and we began to understand these things. You see how God's calling became more and more specific as we, as we walked along with him. For some people, it's, it's, it's to invest the gospel in kids that we saw just this week. Many of you were part of that. For some, it's to be an evangelist. For some, it's to invest in the family. When, when Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's telling us to look around and see what God is doing in the world and then go there. That's the calling. See where God is working. Listen to what he's saying to you. <clears throat> Listen for his promptings, his teachings, his revelations and look and see where God is going in the world and then, and then go there. It's not any more complicated than that. In fact, uh, we have a group of people working uh, on our, our missions effort here at Valley Free and we have, we've tipped over everything in our missions effort here at Valley Free. And for the last few months, this team has been asking the simple question, where's God working? What's he doing and where is he calling Valley Free to go? That, that we're just asking that very question. Where is God working? And then the, then the last thing is, is the call to, and you'll notice I have a blank space there. We're going to leave it blank. I, I, I could have filled it in. I could have said, you know, just go where God leads you. That's, that's the call. Just go where God leads you. It could be just left at that. This is the specific calling of God that we like to focus on. We don't pay much attention to the to the part of following Jesus and relationship with Him. We don't often seek the picture of what God's doing in the world. We just want to know what He wants us to do specifically. We just want to answer the question: What does God want me to do? And so here it is: the specifics of God's calling. Let me give you a few examples. Who could imagine what God will do with a person who is completely yielded over to him? Who could imagine? Listen to this. Who would have believed that Saul, the persecutor of Christians, would become Paul, the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles? That the one who caused such suffering for the church would become the lead church planter, that the one who taught the church leaders how to lead, he would become the one who taught the church leaders how to lead and the believers how to live, like the bride of Christ. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought that John, the, 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 one of the sons of Zebedee, the son of thunder, as the scripture describes he and his brother, sons of thunder, means they were brash men. They were, they were strong men. They probably were, were built like strong, solid fishermen, and they probably were used to, to calling out and hollering at people because that's how you do it on the water. Who would have thought that the son of thunder, the apostle John, would become the apostle of love? Passionate about people knowing the love of God in their lives. Who would have known that the, 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 the son of thunder would, would write epistles explaining the love of God? Who would have known that the, the, the son of thunder, that simple fisherman guy, would become the one who would write the book of Revelation to help us under know, understand where God is going with history? Who would have thought good? Who would have thought that a simple shepherd boy would be assigned to become the king of Israel and would establish the throne for the Messiah, the eternal Messiah? Are you getting the idea? Who would have thought that Mark, John Mark, the the kid who failed the Apostle Paul, failed in a big way, made the Apostle Paul mad at him because he wouldn't keep walking with them on their journey, quit and turned around and went home? Who would have thought that at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul would say, send John Mark to me because he is an encouragement to me. You see, what God does when a when life is yielded over, he does amazing things. And by the way, Mark went on to write a gospel out of failure. Who would have thought that a very, very bad, a very, very wicked slave trader would someday mentor a young politician who would eventually bring an end to the slave trade in England? Who would have thought that the slave trader would eventually pen a hymn of God's amazing grace that would be sung around the globe and across the generations? Who would have thought that an alcoholic and a meth addict would one day design a pillow that would give him a national platform to tell of his testimony of transformation in Christ? I don't know if you know his story, but Mike lived right in Carver. Had a terrible reputation. He was a frequent flyer with the police department. And now he's traveling the world telling people about Jesus. You don't know this story, but this comes out of my my uh, network of people who would have thought that a disobedient teenager suffering from ADHD I'm told that his, we, we, he jokes about the fact that, that his, his dad used to come home from work every day and just give him a spank and he'd say what's that for he said well I know you did something wrong that's the joke in their family so bad was his ADHD who would have thought that one day he'd become a pastor an evangelist with a heart to proclaim the gospel and he preaches the gospel of Jesus across the world to teenagers. He just went to a conference and preached to a bunch of teenagers for a week and he took a picture with a bunch of missionaries that he grew up with. And he went around to the missionaries, he said, Point to anybody in this room here, of missionary kids and missionaries who you would have said would go on to be a pastor and an evangelist. Who would you pick? not one of them would have picked him. Not one. For me, I never ceased to be amazed that a career in highway construction and a career of throwing bags at the airport on airplanes would be transformed into a role of helping to establish the church. There were times when I would walk the streets of Piteș, Romania when we lived there and I would wonder aloud how God could give me the privilege of working for him in this place. I'm still amazed. You see, God calls us to be involved in his kingdom and to play a role that contributes to his greater effort. His greater effort of bringing glory to his name. You each have a place in that. And the reason we left that blank is because I can't fill in that blank for you. These things only surface when we yield ourselves to him and we follow him and we leave the future to him. See how progressive it is. I can't give specifics I can only say to you do whatever he calls you to do and go wherever he leads you so as the worship team comes up let me let me close with a few thoughts what's the anatomy of God's half the congregation just got up What's the anatomy of God's call in our lives? It's to come out, to obey his call, to enter in, to follow Jesus, to join up, to go where he's working, and to go where he leads you to go. Pastor Pastor Christy wrote me a letter. He had had been to a camp um, and somebody came up to him and said, "Uh, the young lady who's leading worship, do you know who she is? And I don't remember if he knew who she was or not, but he didn't remember her story. Uh, Just in the last few weeks, they have, presented a conference. They do, they've done this every year for the last two or three years. presented a, a conference that's titled Striegel Wiesel Doe, which means shout your dreams. And so they bring teenagers and adults together for a weekend conference and they teach them how to, how to walk in the love of God and how to, how to discern God's calling in your life. They're, they're drawing people into Jesus. And they're encouraging people to dream big. What would God have you do? Is God laying on you a Holy Spirit dream to get into the to the to where He's going in the world? And, a, and as the story unfolds, this young lady, at one of their conferences, they went to another city and did this conference. And at the church that they were at, this young lady sat up in the balcony all by herself. She would not participate in what was going on down on the floor in the main worship center. She sat up there all by herself, and she thought, "I'm a loser." I've made bad choices. I've made bad decisions. I can't be part of this. My heart aches to be part of this, but I can't. I'm, I'm too, too far gone. And so she sat the whole weekend. She listened to the messages. And somewhere along the line, a little bit later, she realized she, too, needed to follow after Jesus. And as she explained the story to Christy, she said she grew up in a pastor's home. And it was kind of a strict home. And she rebelled, she rebelled from it. And she began to make choices early as a teenager of drugs and alcohol, and everything that went with it, and she made very, very bad choices. And she began to run with people that weren't supporting her in her faith at all. And pretty soon she found herself sitting in the balcony of a church, wishing she could go there, but knowing full well she can't. Until, and I don't know what the story is, I don't know whether it was a moment of revelation someplace that said, God God loves you unconditionally as you are today, and he's calling you to follow him. And I don't know all that happened in the meantime, but that day, Christy stood at that conference where he, was, where he was participating, and the lady up on the stage who was leading the worship, fabulous worship according to Christy, spirit-filled worship, was the young lady who had been transformed by Jesus. Step by step, he took her to a place where her dreams could be fulfilled. And I, want you to, I want you to know one thing. I, I want you to know lots of things. I don't want you to hear this morning that following God's call need, means you need to be a pastor or you need to be a missionary or you need to be in so, some full-time service. That's good. I'm, I'm hoping we can send church planters and missionaries out of Valley Free. But your calling, if your calling is to your business, is to your school, is to your family, I don't know what it is. Remember, we left it blank. I don't know what it is. But there is no caller that's calling that's greater than another you hear me? Don't hear. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not on a big stage, so therefore I don't have a calling. No. This calling is for you and it begins with come and follow after me. I don't know if you know this, but I, I, you're, you're all supposed to have memorized this, but um, this is our purpose statement. Listen to this. We exist to bring glory to God by calling all people into an abundant life with Jesus Christ. How's that for a big sweeping panorama of what God's doing? But our mission says this. To establish people in a living relationship with God. Come and follow me. To equip believers to worship, grow, and serve. To come and, and, and learn what God has for you. To be equipped for ministry in him. For your calling. And then to experience the fullness of God. You see, what we're talking about today with come and follow me is our purpose as a church. We simply want you to enter into that purpose, that calling, and experience everything that God has for you. Amen? Amen. Let's, worship team, why don't you lead us out, and then I'll pray. And.